Wednesday, June 15th. Uh, we apologise, Connor and I, because it's been so long between drinks since uh, our last podcast. I can't give you a reason why. <laughs> but as promised, uh, we, we, we've worked our way up the body now to hips. So uh, we're just going to have a chat about hips today. Uh, common problems and conditions we see with hips, ranging from the small to the large problems, um, common causes of hip complaints, hip pathology, and ways why the, and why they happen. And some crazy little tidbits about why they happen actually too. And then ways we treat them. And we'll follow it up with a rehab video again. But we thought we'd have a chat first about hip problems. Good afternoon, Connor. How's it going, Mick? Oh, good pretty, to be back. Good to be back, yeah. man. Yeah, pumped. Ready to go, mate. Um, no, look, I've had a lovely morning. I, I've taken the dog out for a run. Um, and then met, you know, we had a lovely uh, lunch, met Sarah, had a lovely lunch, and then now we're uh, getting together with you, so it's a great day. Um, mate, what's the most common hip problem that you see? most common one I've been seeing quite recently, actually, has probably been uh, iliopsoas tendinopathy is quite common, Ooh. and I've been, in with that, I've been seeing a bit of bursitis as well. Iliopsoas tendinopathy? Yes. What the hell's going on with that? Uh, quite a few things. So First of all, what's the iliopsoas muscle for the people that don't know? Yeah, so the iliopsoas muscle is one of our hip flexor muscles. So iliopsoas attaches in the hip, but it, then it runs through the pelvis and attaches in at the lower back in the yeah, spine. Yeah, it does. Um, what would be some causes for that? Well, I think what I've been seeing with patients and what I've been finding is it's obviously been getting overloaded. I've been seeing it um, quite a few times in younger females as well, in running sports and things like that. And what I've been finding is a lot of the times they've got weak, weak glutes. So glute stabilizers, gluteus medius is quite weak. And what I've also been finding is they've got sacroiliac instability mm. as well which I think is putting extra load on the iliopsoas and it's causing inflammation. So, uh, very good breakdown, but very technical. Yes. Um, talk to us more in practical terms yeah. about why people would be getting that problem. Like, what, do they, what sports do they play? What do they do to... Um, to maybe have that happen is are they in are soccer players for instance kicking with one leg or is it like what what sort of yeah, stuff soccer players is a good example uh runners is a really good example any sport where you get well, a, why would runners get it because well it's, it's that constant hip flexion so if they've got that constant hip flexion where they're and they're not being able to take pressure off it is because is because pardon me for interrupting because yeah. i'm curious about this mm. Because you would have thought running was a linear sport, running in a straight line. Yeah. So it would happen both sides. So yeah. why does it happen on one side then? Well, I think they've got. I think the SI is unstable more on when one side. And what do I mean by that? When you have instability. So if you can imagine, if you're listening at home, if you can imagine the pelvis and you've got a joint on each side of the spine, and we call that your sacroiliac joint. And often times, one of those joints on one side can be more unstable. Than the other and what i mean by unstable is if that's being used a lot or the ligaments in that joint have been stretched that can cause instability and what causes so you're saying that if there's a muscle imbalance within the pelvis and hips itself that's mm -hmm. what leads to the ligamentous instability yeah 
I, look, from my point of view, I've seen a couple of instances of it as well. I, I've seen it commonly. But look, with runners, I would say one of the big things that I've seen that is a bit of a conundrum is that they tend to run on running tracks in one direction. Yeah. Yep. So yep. And I've seen that a lot with athletes who uh, run the same direction. What is it, anti-clockwise around the running tracks? They yep. can do it. Mm-hmm. Likewise, in... I see the biggest problem that I see is dominance of one leg if they're playing, say, a sport like soccer, yeah. Yeah. where they're kicking too much with one leg. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, it's funny that you brought up women because it yeah. generally happens more in women than men. That yes. that one, that yeah. instability, mm-hmm. um, and that's interesting. Why? I mean, the anatomy is different in the pelvis for a woman compared to a man, too, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, I think it is. I think it's, well, women are often more flexible than men. So in the joints, they've got a bit more stretch and a bit more give. And I think another big one is we're sitting a lot, but a lot of people tend to cross over their legs a lot. And if, yeah, like I'm doing now, <laughs> it's quite funny. So I think I've got a bit of instability in my... Um, yeah, right. Yeah, right. And you're right, and kind of sitting here with his crossing his yes, leg with his right leg. Yes, which yeah. is just habit. But yeah. yeah, most people will cross over a leg and over time doesn't months days years often it'll cause instability yeah because actually by by sitting cross-legged mm-hmm. gravity is actually pushing that knee down in the cross isn't it yeah. so you end up sort of stretching your hip a bit mm-hmm. on one side if you do it all the time yes. yeah for every action there's an equal and opposite reaction isn't there yes. so you know that's what probably does cause yeah good point cause some of the um the actual ligamentous instability within the the pelvis and the SI joint um oh so you've got piriform you've got sorry you've got you've got psoas tendinopathy that wasn't on my list but it's a good one um uh and you said bursitis there's different and for everyone who doesn't know uh what a bursa is what's a bursa mate so bursas, we've got them all over their body and they're almost like fluid-filled sacs, almost, and it helps prevent friction and rubbing of tendons and things like that. And sometimes if you've got compression or you've got irritation, that bursa can become inflamed and be quite painful. Yes, so it's, it's there to lubricate um, to any friction, uh, especially with there's rubbing of tendons. And, and think of it in terms of... Uh, you know, you've got muscles have to insert somewhere. You can't just have a muscle going straight onto a bone. So especially if it's a large, powerful muscle or it's a muscle that generates a lot of force, um, often what will happen is you need a lubricating device to stop excessive pressure and, and wear on the on the actual attachment, which is the tendon to the bone. So they're, they're provided as a cushioning and, a, and, a, and as a form of uh, lubrication. What can happen if there's too much pressure and it goes against the natural design of the body those tendons can actually become inflamed and then the bursa becomes inflamed. The tendons are wearing and tight. And then the bursa, you know, it can be like a balloon that fills up and so you get more fluid and friction than what, what it should do and it becomes swollen and irritated and sometimes dries up too, you know. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Um, so, yeah, the most common one that we see, Connor Con mentioned one, which is one on the inside of the hip. Yeah. But there's one on the outside of the hip, and it's called trochanteric bursitis. And it's if you feel your hip, and it's the outermost portion of your hip, and a lot of women get that one again too. Yeah. Why do you think? Why do you think women get it more? 
Well, it's was, it was funny because I was listening to your yeah. uh, understanding of... Uh, look, yeah. I think women are designed for childbirth where men yeah. aren't as well. Yeah. So I think there's, by nature, ligamentous instability. So Because yeah. the pelvis in women is designed... Pelvis is designed to open up during yes. childbirth. So yeah. it's more dynamic than mm-hmm. men's pelvis. And as you know, through the stuff we learned through anatomy, is it's got fundamentally different anatomical shape than yeah. the men's. That's how I de- they identify skeletons, isn't yes. it? By... By, by the pelvis, shape. Yeah, yeah, the shape of the pelvis. It's got a greater hole for the baby's head to come through, greater foramen, um, and the and the joints themselves, the actual ball and socket joints are a slightly different shape. Mm. So, look, what what do we, the reason why I see that with women once again, look, I shouldn't quantify that, I do see it more in women, but I want to say that most of the time it's due to standing and one leg shorter than the other and leaning into the short leg side. Yes. So if you've got a short leg and you tend to just stand on one leg, that automatically means your weight's being shifted to one direction. And that's why Connor and I use the scales to check that stuff uh, and put one leg on the scale and one leg and bilaterally to see how the weight, because you'll often find on the short leg side, you'll lean into that side. When you're leaning into that side, it causes pressure on that bursa. So that's one of the reasons, yeah. isn't it? And tight ITB. Tight ITB. Oftentimes with the short leg, they lean on it. If they're desk workers as well, they'll lean into that side and that can pre- any sort of compression on the bursa can cause that inflammation, that irritation. Which leads into another problem, which is ITB syndrome, which yeah. is part of that. And it's the same principle. Yeah. Everyone goes, the ITB, you know, we've got to, we've got to treat the ITB, fix yeah. the ITB. I find the ITB is one of the most reactive areas of the body. Um, you can roll the ITB, which is, which is worthwhile, but it's that's never the problem, right? Well, the ITBs, it's, well, the name of it is called iliotibial band. And the reason it's called a band is because it's meant to be taut. It's meant to be tight. It's meant to hold the knee and the uh, outside of the leg together. So its, it's function is to be tight and keep it all moving functioning. Yeah, great. And that's a really great point, is that sometimes I think people... It's okay to be taut, yeah. but not to the point where it causes friction. Yes. Right? Yeah. And that's that's the difference between those two. Uh, another common one, and I've got a list here, mate. Would you want to throw one, see if I've got it on the list? Uh, did you have a glute, gluteus medius tendinopathy? I did, you did. Yeah. It's there. So yeah. glute medius tendinopathy, probably the, one of the most common things we see mm-hmm. uh, imbalancing is yeah. glute medius. Um. There's certain muscles in our body that are designed to create power. Other muscles are designed to hold things together. When we are structurally imbalanced or functionally imbalanced, what can happen is you get some of the ones that are meant to act to hold things together, otherwise known as phasic muscles, start to function as a moving muscle. The most common one that we see is glute medius because glute medius is one of the most important points for holding the hip in place, isn't it? Well, it's the main, it's the main hip stabiliser. It's what keeps it in place. Yeah. So if that, if there's an imbalance and that muscle switches on too much mm-hmm. or off, yep. it can load the tendon, can't it? So yes. then we get a tendon, inflamed tendon, otherwise known as a tendinopathy, tendonitis. Yep. Uh, and that can result in hip pain. Um, yeah, and a really common one. But, I mean, there's so much said. I mean, and we'll talk about this when we yeah. do the videos. Yeah. But we'll focus a lot on 
glute medius function, won't we, when we do the video? And that's, I think that's a common thing. So with a lot of hip complaints, I see and I treat, I think one of the common thing that pops up a lot is people uh, have underactive or weak gluteus medius. And again, if that's not switching on and that's not helping stabilize the hip, other things around it have to start taking up that load. What are some structural reasons that could cause glute medius, not functional, because we'll treat functional, mm-hmm. right? And it's a lot of what exercise physiologists and physiotherapists and chiropractors would do mm-hmm. is turn that muscle back on. But what are some structural reasons you might get a glute medius imbalance? I think a lot of the times you can have a bit of a sacroiliac imbalance and you can also have it come from your shoulders as well. That seems bizarre. Yeah. How could a shoulder imbalance lead to a glute medius imbalance? Well, a lot of the time, and what we do here, and some people might have a different view on this, is with the shoulder, and you've probably heard Mike and I talk about this before if you've come in, is opposite arm leg or opposite shoulder and lower back. So if you've had issues, for example, if you've got a right hip issue or a right gluteus tendon, medius tendinopathy, and you could in the part, if your history says you've got some shoulder issues, you might have a tight pec, you might have some rotator cuff issues, oftentimes that can cause compensation of the lower back end of the hip and that can load it up and cause you issues. Yeah, that's really yeah. interesting. That's common on what we see. So yeah. what we're saying is you may never get your glute turning on properly if you've got an underlying shoulder problem, right? So, and it's off, often the opposite shoulder. Mm-hmm. So unless you fix your opposite shoulder, that glute will never turn back on. Yeah. Uh, I'll throw in a couple. One of them is a short leg, uh, short leg, uh, structural short leg. Connor pulled it a good one with SI function again. Mm-hmm. Sometimes there's, there's, there's weird things that can happen in the structure of patients, including things like a sacralization Lumberization that can affect yeah. SI motion, isn't it? Yeah. What, what's that, Connor? What's a lumberization sacralization? So lumberization and sacralization is when you have almost like a few in the joints of the spine, you almost get a fusion between. And what that often comes with is it gets locked up, it's quite stiff, and you don't have that normal range of motion in the spine. So it's quite locked up. So that will yeah. cause an imbalance and load weight bring. That's something yes. that, chi- that chiropractors pick up on. Yeah. Facet tropism, any of these sort of weird structural things that can happen that we diagnose via an x-ray. Uh, uh, what else we got there, mate, structurally? That could I, just wanna, I just want to talk about something before we go yeah. ahead. So you mentioned short leg before. Now you have a structural and a functional short leg because this is something I'm asked a lot. So what are the two differences between those in your okay. mind? So in basically, in simple terms, a structural short leg is a leg is, the, is when the femur, like your legs, the bones of the legs are shorter on one side compared to the other. And it doesn't matter how many exercises you do, it's always going to remain short. So we can, we can take a really good guess at that from an x-ray. Uh, one of the gold standard ways to do it is via a CT where they actually measure the leg length of the, the, the length of the bones. That is a structural short leg. A functional short leg is when you have a scoliosis or a muscle imbalance that pulls the hip up and the pelvis up on one side. That it makes the leg appear as if it's short, but it's not because there's muscles, ligaments and joint tension that is causing it to, to jam up and hike on one side. Yeah. Makes sense. So, 
function you can have a combination of both you can have a structural and a functional short leg together and often that is the case like when we have someone with a 20 mil short leg we might say we can get 10 mils out of it with treatment but there's 10 mils that we can't fix so we, yeah. we, we need to do a heel lift or something else you know yeah. sometimes it's very simple scoliosis has a big impact on the way if you imagine your spine, say that you've got perfect leg length, you have, but then you have a scoliosis. So you weight bear more into one leg. Now that will affect the growth of one leg because more weight's going into the side all the time. So then you get a chicken and egg scenario. Yeah. Did the scoliosis cause the, 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 the structural short leg or did the short leg was there first and it causes a, um, a curve to one side? Both are true. Yeah. It'll be apparent in the history and the examination of what caused what first. Yeah. Yep. Um, here's the one that we often talk about that is the tricky one. So we've gone through bursitis, ITB, piriformis, glute medius. Uh, two final ones I'll get here, but I'll talk. I'll get you to explain what a labrum is and what a labral tear could be. Yeah. So yeah, labrum's quite a tricky one. So what a labral tear is, is if you imagine the hip joint, so you've got the ball and socket, so you have the socket that goes into the joint, and in between that, you have this little bit of what we call the labrum, a little bit of tissue that helps um, smooth motion of that hip joint, that helps hold it in together. And oftentimes, what you can get, you can get a little bit of tearing, you can get some scarring, and with a labrum, what that can do is when that hip's actually moving through its range of motion, it can get caught sometimes. And it can cause irritation, it can cause inflammation. Uh, common causes of why it can happen, trauma is a big one. If they're in an accident or if they've uh, done something, tackling is a big one as well, I've seen. And the biggest way they, um, they find it's occurring is they start getting Night pain's a big one with hip pain. You start getting a bit of clicking as well. And oftentimes it can just be a very deep, dull ache that's just reoccurring. It's not going away. And it's just it's just hanging around, you know. They've, they've gone through a lot of treatment. They haven't really had much of an effect. And oftentimes we go through that and we get an ultrasound or get a CT or something, connective tissue, something like that, and we find that they've actually have an underlying labral tear that's never been uh, diagnosed. Yeah, well said. It, it's, I find it one of the great deceivers yeah. of clinic presentation. And when you've got sometimes even patients with chronic low back or SI problems, there's often an underlying uh, uh, hip problem like this label tear that Connor's talking about because what the body tries to do you imagine the ball and socket and there's there's the, the tissue that holds it all together and it's torn and inflamed so your body tries to offload that so you, you don't want to put weight through it there's one of the inherent mechanisms of the body that you try to offload pain or where there's damage occurring your body will try to shift weight to the other side but it's often in the shifting weight to the other side that you get different symptoms isn't it and it's like getting symptoms on that side, on that side there, but the cause of it has is actually come from that yeah yeah that hip so that's kind of tricky and look as connor and i have spoken about over the last couple of years there's no clear we know the test for label tears I do the test for label tears the orthopedic tests uh, they are often not 100% accurate 
Um, they give you a good guide to what could be wrong. I find people who are obsessed with spin classes end up with labral tears, funny enough. Yeah. Um, but, and as Connor said, but it's say you're, you know, you're standing in a tackle, right, and, and you get, you know, uh, someone wrestle you and you've got a leg planted on the ground, is that rotation through your hip, that can yeah. cause it. Um, or it can be big trauma or micro trauma. We always say there's two types of mechanisms of injury: one big tr- tear or thousands of micro tears. That yeah, just happened over years and years of use. So one thing that is often missed is that unless you do contrast MRIs, where you inject a dye into the hip, it can sometimes miss the diagnosis of a label tear. They are tough to diagnose and yes. they are tough to treat yeah. uh, often they require a little bit of surgical intervention uh, and then really great rehab and people make good recoveries I've got we've got several patients who've come through the other side of them and now symptom free for years and years but it's tough to get on top of initially you know, it's they they're, are, they're, they're tough very, cases yeah. um, the final one on my list here is hip arthritis uh, how would how what's the common thing you see with hip arthritis, mate? So common thing is a lot of people complain getting up in the morning, really tight, really stiff, and one thing we're seeing clinic as well, people that do have hip arthritis with the cold change in weather, they find that if they do have that, it's quite tight, it's quite stiff, and I think Mick has something he wants to add as well. Well, the biggest yeah. no, that's great. Yeah. Oh, it's funny how we think of different things, uh-huh. but the biggest thing with arthritis that most people don't get is that the joint dries up. So you go from a nice supple elastic joint to a dry joint. So if you just do a simple test where you cross your legs and you push down on your knee and there's a bounce there, that's a really good sign, right? Because yeah. there's elastic in the joint. And that's a test actually we do in clinic. Yeah. Uh, Patrick Fabre test, and it just shows us how much give is in the joint. But as you say, imagine you lose that elasticity and it becomes dry and it becomes more prone to, as, as the hip itself and the capsule itself becomes tighter, and less elastic and less fluid because it dry, it's drying up. It becomes more. You can imagine there's not enough as much cushioning. And as Corner says, you get up in the morning and then you have to load the joint again. It's shrunk overnight. Or get some heat into it just to loosen it up a bit. That's a big one as well. Yeah. Um, interestingly enough, right-handed people most of the time will end up with left leg left hip arthritis 80 to 90 percent of the time opposite with left-handed people unless there's complicating factors like short leg scoliosis that we've spoken about in the past as well so a simple test is just to sit and cross your legs and see which hip comes if there's one hip goes higher than the other it's a sure sign you've got a hip imbalance isn't it quite funny i had so here's here's a story for you i had a patient i do some treatment with an afl team so a guy came to me uh, and he's had hip issues. He has really tight hips in the groin, in the front, was getting glute pain. This one we didn't talk about. Yeah. Groin issues. Yeah, groin favorite. issues. Yeah. So, and he'd been seeing a osteopath for about five years, gets a little bit of improvement for, from it, but nothing that lasts too long. He can't, he's struggling to run now. And so he came up to the clinic, we did some uh, treatment on him, we figured out that through our testing he had a bit of, because of the arthritis, it was loading up his SI, he was getting some SIJ instability on his left side, so we did some treatment, did um, some techniques to help that instability, 
And then that weekend he ran on and he was able to play a full game. Sure. And no tightness, no pain from doing, just figuring out that even though he had the arthritis, a lot of the cause was loading up different areas. Yeah, mate, and that's 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 a great win. Mm-hmm. So I think that uh, I think the we keep saying SIJ and I, I, I get concerned that patients aren't understanding what we're talking yes, about or yeah, listeners aren't, yeah. aren't, uh, aren't understanding that. Where, if you ever look at the pelvis, right, and we'll, try, we'll give you a visual when we do the videos and please tune in because you'll understand it more once you see it, but there is a seesaw in the body between the hip joint and the sacroiliac joint. You can't affect the movement at one without affecting the movement at the other. And the SI joints is where your big tailbone attaches onto your pelvis. So the movement in one, and it's a really complex figure eight moving joint. It has a lot of moving parts where your hip joints are ball and socket. So we're talking very dynamic, you know, movements here that once you get jamming of one, it has an impact or loosening of one. It has an impact on the other end. So if your hip gets tight, it affects your SI joint. Often that will come loose, right? Yes. Or if your SI joint becomes tight, it has an impact on hip movement as well. So it's one or the other, but you have to figure out if one, which one's causing which, because because you can have a primary at either, right? So, um, yeah, mate, that's really well said. And and onto that. Uh, as our last thing we'll talk about, which are groin strains. So you've been treating that as well, right, with the AFL boys. So what yeah. is a groin strain? What, what, well, when we talk about groin, what does that mean? So a groin strain, you've got, well, that's pretty much the inside. I think most people know where their groin is. So it's the inside, <laughs> you'd hope. And that's the in, just the inside portion of the thigh. And what can happen is that can get overloaded. It can get stretched often in kicking sports as well, where they're loading up they're loading up that hip and they're having to kick through. They can cause tears and things like that. I myself, um, being a soccer player, I've had my fair share of groin strains and things like that. How did you find your way into managing that effectively? So, well, I can't saw you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, look, the way I manage that is, well, obviously, rest... Rest is a big one, not aggravating it as much. Um, but what about your rehab? What was re- the biggest rehab I did? Because what I was finding is my inside was doing all the work, so my inside of my thigh muscles and the outside of my thigh muscles were not working hard enough. You're right. And also, also my quad was weak, so I was overactive on the inside, overactive in the hamstring, and my quad and the outside and uh, the glute stabilised, the gluteus medius, which we've talked about um, before this, was underactive and weak, which was putting more more load on the groin. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. once again, it's the... Well, we know, because um, we've worked with some great practitioners over the years as well, that your groin on your right is direct, directly related to the efficiency of your glute medius on your left. So if your left glute medius, from a muscular point of view, is weak, it will cause a right tight groin, right? A reductor, call it. So, yep, yep, very good, mate. Um, I've just written a couple of notes on things that can cause hip pain that are often not thought about. Um, Obviously, the biggest one, and I'll share this story, is the low back, um, some of the nerves go into the hip, so you can get what people think are hip pains, but they're often low back related. Uh, So lumbar spine, facet joint, nerve irritation in different parts of the spine, especially the upper part. 
at the low back if there's irritation there. Uh, we've already spoken about the role of the SI joint. Uh, we've already spoken about the role and the importance of the psoas muscles, so that's good when we spoke about leg length. Um, one of the things I, I, I want to say about the low back is that there's a prominent orthopedic surgeon in the Sutherland Shire who operates on low back and hips. And he has told my patients that have seen him that he has operated on far too many hips when he should have been looking more at what was going on at the low back as a cause of hip replacement and problems. So he found, it was even his own admission that after doing hip replacements for 10, 20, 30 years, that he should have been concentrating more on what was going on at the low back. And even he had a hip replacement and a low back operation, <laughs> right? Uh, and found the low back operation in a chronic situation was what relieved his hip problems, not yeah. his hip surgery. So, guys, you can't just think of it. And, and this is the problem with, with, with disposable parts of your body. If you think your body's disposable, it's never disposable, right? So you can think you can have a hip replacement or a knee replacement, right? Yeah. And everything's going to be fine, but that's not, not really correct, case. is it? Yeah. And I think if people look at it more from a long time long term point of view as well, oftentimes down the track that can lead to other issues in the body, but it increases your risk of having to get it replaced again. I mean also going and getting the surgery itself, you put yourself at a lot of risk. And I think in modern days, I think people jump too quickly into getting those sort of things without looking into why it's happened and what's caused it in the first place. If you could get patients to take a a message home about uh, hip surgery or hip replacement or joint surgery, if you could give them one piece of advice, uh, what would it be? My one piece of advice would be, if you're really considering it, go get different opinions. If you're really considering it, go see a chiropractor, go see a physio, go see another specialist. Don't just take one person's word for it because sometimes that opinion won't give you the best outcome. Yeah, it really, so it's really just go, just go get some different opinions because I think you'll, you'll find some interesting stuff there. Well, and plus there's two different types of hip surgeries in there. There's yeah. one that, that goes through the back and one through the front. And yeah. I can only say from Connor and I's point of view, we see much better results with going through the front and not yeah. a lot of doctors do that operation, mm-hmm. but the outcomes are much better. Yeah. Because when they go through the back, they have to cut through the glute muscles. Mm-hmm. And as we're about to speak about and show you, those glute muscles are vitally important. important. So if you cut them to get in to replace the hip, you're never going to turn them on properly again, are you? Yes. So that's where going through the front is vitally, uh, I, I think vitally, if it was me, that's what I'd be doing. But you know, that's everyone to each their own, everyone yeah. different. My one piece of advice for, for and to finish up on, on today's talk is to say, don't get yourself in a position where you've got your head in the sand, your sand, hand, yeah. sand about your own body. Yeah. If you think, if you prioritise what's important, and at least you've got a good understanding if you're 30, 40, 20, whatever, 50, 60, 70, 80, and gosh, your oldest patients are 90. But as long as you're aware of what's going on in your body, then you can take personal responsibility when things go bad. If it's one thing to uh, put your body on the back burner, but it will always come back and... Uh, and remind you if you have problems and you've been neglectful. I see people invest in 
finances. I see people invest in crypto. I see patients invest in stocks, housing market, property. The best investment you'll ever make is looking after your health and your own body, okay? And that's where all of us, even if you retire and you have a ton of cash, if, you're in, if your body's not in great shape and your health is not in great shape, you can't have it. It affects all facets of your life as well. If you're not healthy, oftentimes in your body and how your body's functioning, it affects your mental health, it, affect, it can affect relationships, you know? So it's there's a big scope as well around your health. And if you're just focusing on that sometimes, and you t- do, as Mick said, you do take responsibility for that and you take accountability for it, you can often, all these other areas of your life tend to improve and get better around that as well. And we know from the work that we do that what we do works and it can help prevent some of this stuff. So I hope you've enjoyed listening to our chat, guys. We're going to follow it up with a video soon, so please stay tuned and I really appreciate you tuning in. Uh, been great to spend some time with you. Uh, what are you doing for the rest of the other other? Uh, I've got to finish my shift, so I've got plenty of patience ah, to see this afternoon. Good boy. Hopefully a few years. <laughs> <laughs> see you, mate. Yeah. Thanks for joining me. Thanks, mate. See Bye. you. Mate.